All right, good morning. How are we doing this morning? We're well? Good, good. Me too. It's uh, good stuff. Good to have you here this morning. If you happen to be new here this morning, we want to just give you an extra welcome. We're super grateful that you came and chose to worship with us this morning. If you've joined us online this morning and you're new to us this morning online, we want to say welcome to you as well. So trusting everybody is having a, a, a good fourth um, weekend. We are going to carry on in our series here um, in which we are going through the Songs of Ascent, right? And these are songs or psalms that the, that the, uh, that, that the Jewish people would have sung as they went up to Jerusalem to the different uh, festivals that they did uh, mainly three times every year. And as they ascended up towards Jerusalem, as they drew nearer to God, pilgrimaging with one another, growing closer to one another, these are some things that they would have went through. This one I'm calling, But God. It's Psalm 124. It's our fifth week here of the season. And it starts out like this. It says, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. And so there's just this acknowledgement that begins right here that, that the people are saying, look, it's all God. Every bit of this is God. If God hadn't showed up, we'd be in huge trouble right now. I don't know, anybody look back in your childhood or maybe your teenage and early 20s kind of a time frame or something and say, hey, if God hadn't showed up in that moment, I wouldn't be here, <laughs> right? It, it, this thing is, so much of this is just acknowledging the reality of God's work in our lives. If we read through the Old Testament, what we'll see is, is, is just a bunch of messed up people with one uh, with one faithful and true thread that's, that's interwoven through the whole of the story, and that is God, and that's God's work in the lives of his people in and through this. So, so the people now begin by just acknowledging, look, it's all God, and if God hadn't showed up, we wouldn't even be on this journey today. We wouldn't be walking up to Jerusalem this morning. We wouldn't be going to draw nearer to him had he not shown up. And then it says then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. We're going to talk a little bit. I, I, I've never ceased to be amazed sometimes at God's timing on some series. We set series to, to happen way back here, and you, you just feel, you're like, hey, I feel like God is leading us into this series. And then just these timely markers just happened within these. And I think that this psalm, it couldn't be more timely for the times that we're in today. And so the people of Israel understood very much what it was like to have people and nations coming against them, right? Anger kindled against them. It says, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. We would have been completely consumed by the people and the culture around us had it not been for God's intervention in our lives. And then it goes on to say, blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. So it's kind of an interesting uh, perspective here. It's an interesting start. I have a question for you. Have you ever met a Jebusite? Have you ever met uh, an Amorite, maybe a Girgashite? Had lunch with a Moabite, a Hittite, or an Ammonite? Good conversations with a Perizzite, a Buzite, 
a Shuhite or a Temanite? Actually, you guys might have met a Hooterite if you went out to Aberdeen Exit at a certain point, right? But that doesn't really count. Um, you, you could have met one of those guys out on Aberdeen Exit with their farmer's market, but that doesn't really count. You see, all of these ites don't exist anymore. All of these ites have assimilated into other cultures and other people groups around them. What's interesting and unique, and I think it's a great proof for the truth of the Bible, for the reality of the Bible, is that you can still meet an Israelite. They still exist. They're an ancient culture that's been around for thousands of years, and for thousands and thousands of years, they've been absolutely persecuted, and almost every major nation and, and people group around them have tried to annihilate them off of the face of the earth. Why? Well... I think it's because God made promises to those people, promises that he says he will fulfill in the last days. And I believe that the enemy believes that, that if he can come against those people and take them out, that God can't fulfill those promises. And maybe in some sort of a warped way, he, he wins in a strange way. It's the reality of God at work in, the, in his people, his chosen people, those that he took out. You see, the Israelites have been scattered around the world twice scattered around all of the nations around them two times and brought back. Yet they have remained a unique and distinct genetic people group. I think it's only the hand of God that could have done that with them. It's only his hand that could have preserved that and they understand and known this. See, the Old Testament shows just a repeated cycle of the people of God and that cycle is bondage, a cry of God, a cry to God for deliverance, God's rescue, prosperity, complacency, back to bondage. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle of, that, that, that we tend to be prone to. Um, I'm afraid it's a cycle that we are experiencing in our nation even today. I want to read a few things. So in Wikipedia, I looked up anti-Semitism and, and the struggles of the Jewish people through history. There were a hundred pages front and back that Wikipedia had about this. And I'm gonna go through just a few of them and, and I am gonna just barely touch on some of these. Okay, so basically we know that the Old Testament starts with them enslaved in Egypt and, and set free and, 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 and moving through history. Um, in 740, uh, the Assyrian captivity began. In 586, Nebuchadnezzar captured Judah and destroyed the temple. In 475, Haman attempted genocide on the Jewish people. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple and Jerusalem, and over one million Jews were enslaved. In 63... 12,000 die and many more are sent into the diaspora by Pompey's conquest. In 602 to 20, massacres of the Jews were all across the Byzantine Empire. In 624, Muhammad watched as 600 Jews are decapitated in Medina in one day. In 874, Basil I decrees all Jews to be baptized by force if necessary. In 1146, 100,000 Jews were massacred in Morocco and 120,000 in Marrakesh. In 1147, Jews were expelled from Spain. In 1096, the first crusades began and attacked Jewish communities in the Rhineland. 5,000 were murdered. In 1210, King John of England uh, imprisoned the Jewish population until they paid 66,000 marks apiece. 
1212, forced conversion and mass murder of the Jewish community of Toledo. In 1232, we saw the forced mass conversions in Marrakesh. A thousand Moroccan Jews were killed. In 1236, crusaders attacked Jewish communities in Anjou and Poitou and attempt to baptize all the Jews. Those who resisted, 3,000 in number, were slaughtered. In 1278, Pope Nicholas III requires compulsory attendance by Jews at conversion sermons. 1279, the Sidon of Often, Christians are forbidden to sell or rent real estate to or from the Jews. In 1298, during a civil war between Adolf of Nassau and Albrecht of Austria, German knight Rentfleisch claims to have received a mission from heaven to exterminate the accursed race of the Jews under his, lead, his leadership, the mob goes from town to town, massacring 100,000 Jews and destroying their cities. In 1349, Basil, uh, in Basil, 600 Jews are burned at the stake, 140 children forcibly baptized. The city, uh, those remaining in the city were expelled. The synagogue was turned into a church and the Jewish, Jewish cemetery was destroyed. In 1349, 6,000 Jews are burned to death in Mainz as part of the Black Death persecutions. They believe that the Jewish people were responsible for the plague, for the Black Plague, that they were poisoning wells, and so they began to persecute them. In 1368, 6,000 Jews are killed during a siege in Toledo. 1391, Fernando Martinez led countless massacres devastating the Sephardic Jewish people, the Jewish community in Barcelona. They destroyed at least 10,000 they murdered 10,000 Jews and thousands more were forcibly converted. In 1421, all Jews in Vienna were expelled. Possessions were confiscated, forced conversion of the children, and 270 were burned at the stake. In 1481, the Spanish Inquisition was instituted. In 1555, Pope Paul IV writes this, it appears utterly absurd and impermissible that the Jews whom God has condemned to eternal slavery for their guilt should enjoy our Christian love. He renews anti-Jewish legislation and institutes a lockdown in the ghetto in Rome, forces Jews to wear a yellow hat or a kerchief, forbids owning real estate or practicing medicine on Christians. 1563, Russian troops take Polotsk from Lithuania. Jews given the ultimatum, either embrace the Russian Orthodox Church or die. 300 Jewish men, women, and children were thrown into ice holes in the Davina River. 1569, Pope Pius V expels the Jews from Bologna, uh, gave the cemetery away and destroyed Jewish gravestones, also ordered that any Jews refusing to convert be expelled. 1615, King Louis XIII of France decrees that all Jews must leave the country within one month on pain of death. 1648 to 55, Ukrainian Cossacks murdered around 100,000 Jews and destroyed 300 Jewish communities. In 1770s, all Jews living in Gibraltar, Cornola, Styria, Carnithia are expelled. Jews of Radom are exiled in 1724. In 1727, there's an edict of Catherine I of Egypt. All Jews found in Ukraine and other Russian provinces are to be expelled at once beyond the frontiers of Russia. In 1737, blood libel became an issue where they believed that the Jewish people were taking Christian children and sacrificing them um, in a blood sacrifice. And so many Jews were accused of that and lost their lives. In 1790 to 92, there's destruction of the Jewish communities of Morocco. 1834, 
The looting of Safed, a month-long attack on the Jewish population by local villagers, including looting, raping, and killing of Jews. Before the attacks, Jews made up 50% of that population. In 1882, Tsar Alexander III of Russia adopted a policy of systematic discrimination with the object of removing the Jews from their economic and public positions in order to cause one-third to immigrate, one-third to accept baptism, and one-third to starve. In 1933, the Holocaust began. Holocaust, the very word of Holocaust means the whole burnt. And it was a term that was used for an offering that was placed upon the table. And when that whole offering was burnt up, it was the Holocaust. It went on to take a terrifying name under the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler, who killed six million Jewish people. In May 1948, though, God showed up again, and they became a nation again. And one day, fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, they went on to, to, uh, to, to be attacked right off of the bat before they really had an organized military or anything. And somehow, they fended off all of the neighboring nations and maintained their, their, their borders. They lost some ground. In 1967, on June the 5th, they began a six-day war, right? Um, against Syria, Egypt, and Libya. And in six days, under overwhelming odds, they won the war in six days, which I think sets the stage for a final seventh day battle that we read about in the end of our book. So humanity, we're full of all kinds of atrocities and, and, and things, and, and we have a real struggle. And I'm just going to say that if it's not for God, if God doesn't show up, we're in real trouble. This was the recognition, though, of the Jewish people. They say, our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. At this point in verse 7, the, this actually shifts to a future tense in the Hebrew, and, and he is saying that we are going to escape. And just as a bird out of the snare, and out of this, as the snare is broken, we are basically going to escape and be free. How? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And you see, our hope is in that same name. Our, nothing has changed about that name. And, and who is the Lord who made heaven and earth, right? Well, in John 1, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Hebrews 1 verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, it's God. It's God. It's this creator God that we have to, must be right now, understanding to be our only hope. To be honest with you, I don't know how troubled your spirit is. We're not fearful, but my spirit is troubled in these days. I'm talking to other pastors and I'm like, man, my spirit is troubled. They're like, ours too, ours too. And, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm the last guy to get in on conspiracy kind of stuff, but I'm gonna tell you also too that there is a reality of a push in the culture around us to eradicate Judeo-Christian values from the world that we're living in right now. It's the truth. That's the truth. We have to, and, and, and as Christians, we, we are walking a knife edge. I feel like we're absolutely just walking on this knife edge and one side of this knife edge looks like just getting caught up in the culture around us and swept away with it. The other side of this Knife edge, I think, looks like kind of a, a radical nationalism that pictures Jesus with an AR-15 up on a hill taking everybody out that's opposed to him. And, and both of those sides, those are dangerous cliffs. And we walk this thing as Christians, but understanding that Jesus is the only hope that this world has. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold that what is going on in the world today is a twisted form of the gospel playing itself out in the culture around us. In other words, what do we have? we have? We have people, we have injustice, we have wrongs that have been committed, and we need to acknowledge that, and that's, those are right causes to stand on. So what does the culture, apart from Jesus, say has to happen? Well, something has to pay the price, right? Maybe a people group have to pay the price. We have to demonize a certain people group. Maybe it's the police. Maybe it's property that has to pay the price, but there has to be something that pays the penalty that atones for the wrongs that have been doing. You see, the gospel is written in the human heart and we can't get away from it. And even though we don't really wanna talk about God's judgment and the reality of God's judgment, we wanna understand that judgment, you know, if I've been wronged, then, then judgment needs to be made. You see, the only one who does judgment the right way is Jesus, right? The anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. And if we're left to ourselves in the midst of all of this, we will consume one another. This is the reality, I think, of, of where we sit. And I think that, that there is a real need for Christians at this time to be the church. It's time to test the spirits. 1 John 1, 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. We're also told that, that the enemy will show up as an angel of light, right? So there's a necessity to understand. And we are living in a culture where we are overwhelmed with information and stuff. It's, it's bombarding us, and it's hard to even sort through and figure out what's real. We've got to go to God, and we have to be a discerning, wise people. There are great causes that are out there, and there are not so great organizations that are backing some of those causes. 
I'm here to tell you, you've got to be discerning. It's time to begin to be discerning in this and recognize that we need to do our homework. We need to understand who's coming from what perspective, and at the end of the day, what is the agenda? It's only God that's going to rescue us. It's, it's only him that's going to show up. Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2 says this, and he says it to the church, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's not for me. That's not just for me. I'm part of the church, but I'm not the one that that, that's for all of us. That's for believers. This is a call on our lives to understand and to know this word, to know what it says, to have a, a worldview that is agreeing with this. I think that there's somewhere around 5% of Christians actually have a Christian worldview today. We've been so influenced by the culture around us, and if we're not careful, we're going to allow the culture to sweep away. Now, now God, they will not thwart God's plans. There will always be a remnant. There's always been a remnant. God will always preserve, and he's going to do what he's going to do in history. But I truly believe that we sit at a time that is a defining moment for the culture around us. And it is time for the church to begin to talk. It is time for us to begin to stand up and speak. And we've got to be really careful how we speak and what we speak. You see, we always have to speak truth with love. And it's not time for the church to come against. Please don't come against. Let's talk about what we're for. Let's stand on what we're for because the church is for a lot of great things. And the church is addressing a group and a culture out there that is hardwired to be part of a cause, that is hardwired to be part of a revolution and a move. They just don't know the greatest cause, and it's up to the church to explain and tell the world what the greatest cause that's ever been is out there, that it's available. You see, we've done a too good of a job of telling the world what we're against, and not a good enough job of saying what we're for. And to be honest with you, when we say what we're for, we're going to come against some things. That's a reality. But Jesus said, hey, if they hate you, they hated me first. Right? And Paul tells us, if you live a life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. We've lived a really quiet and easy life so far. But the winds of change are truly in the air and um, we're not going to legislate our way out of it. We aren't going to, uh, no political party is going to deliver us out of it. The only thing that is going to change the world around us is the gospel, the true right gospel lived out in the hearts of people. His kingdom, not ours, his kingdom ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people one heart at a time those hearts, passing it on to other hearts, growing his kingdom for his purposes. We have got to be part of that revolution. We've got to become part of that movement. It's, it's the call on the church. It's the call on the life of believers. We've been quiet too long. It's time to talk. It's time to have civilized conversation. Don't go out there and be a jerk, please, and... and, and, and and, and take away the, the message of the church, the good message of the church, because you won't be heard. 
Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or teaching or having that conversation? You see, you guys all have spheres of influence around you that I don't have. We talk about that in this church, the oikos, the, the sphere of influence that you uniquely have, right? That we don't have. And so this isn't just a call to, the, to preachers or pastors. This is a call to the church. It's a call to arms. Take up your sword. This one the sword of the spirit, the one that makes a difference. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter two. It's a good reminder for us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the greatness of his love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God has work for each and every one of us. He has unique giftings, unique influence that you have. And it is time to recognize that we can be distracted with all this stuff all the time. Those things are fine, but they're sideline kind of stuff, and they need to be sidelined. We need to keep what's first first. We need, to under, we need to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness and allow him to add all things to us. It goes on to say this, Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." How's this going to get broken down? It's going to get broken down through the cross and through the gospel. It's the only way. You see, we threw away the idea or the concept of truth a long time ago, which left us with the, in the impossible position of having a civil conversation because we have no place, no objective place of truth anymore to go to. That leaves us only to argue what our opinions are. And the only way to establish one opinion over the other is by power and force. You see, it's the gospel, it's Jesus 
that allows us to, to lay those things down. He lay the past down at the cross, forgetting what lays behind and pursuing what is ahead. It's the place where we're able to find forgiveness. It's the place where we're able to move forward through the midst of this. It's the only place. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and with the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, it's this God who, who created all of us, who understands humanity on a level that none of us in here will ever get. It's him who has the plan. It's him who, who has the, the resources. It's him who has the ability. It's him who has the desire and the heart to really change our world. And what he's asking with is that the church would begin to agree with his heart. That we begin to see things with the same eyes that he sees things through. That, that, that we would understand that all culture is to adapt here. This isn't to adapt to culture. We don't pick and choose. We don't, we don't throw these things out. Jesus taught his people to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, as Jewish people understood full well what it was to have a kingdom coming against them, right? Every kingdom ever came against them. And, and, and the call in this prayer is that God's kingdom would come against us. It would come against me, against who I really am apart from Christ or who I tend to even be when I allow myself to operate out of his flesh, that, that your kingdom would come and it would come against us, that it would prevail over us, that your will would win the day over our will, that your peace would come. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for, for, uh, from evil. For thine is the, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Right? Can we say that together? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you... Uh, that you've called us, that you've called us to be your church, 
that you love us so much. And you don't just love us, you love the whole world. You've created of all nations from one man and that you call us to a place of unity. And you, you, you say that that place is at the cross and that that's the place of forgiveness, that that's the place of restoration, that that is the place of reconciliation. That's the place where, where, where new creation happens and, and that's the place where new lives and new cultures are built and created. Lord, we've never, ever, ever done it the way you've called us to do it. And so we ask that you would forgive us, Lord. Forgive your church, forgive your people, Lord. And renew in us, restore us, Lord. And just as 2 Chronicles 7.14 says that if, if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and repent and pray to you and turn from our wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and you'll answer our prayers and you'll heal our land. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. We just pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come, that it would come and that it would rule and reign, Lord, first and foremost in our own hearts individually that we would kick out any, anything of, of kingdom building that's about self, Lord, that that would, that would go in Jesus' name and that we would just receive and desire to receive everything of, of your kingdom, that your kingdom would rule and reign in our hearts individually, Lord, and that, and that then that that would pass on, that, Lord, we would be willing to speak, that, Lord, you would embolden your people to share the hope that is in you, the only hope that is given the only name given under heaven by which men might be saved, Lord, may your church, may we believe it, may we act upon that like we truly know it and that we truly believe it, that we've truly set our stake in that place of hope. Lord, you're good, and we know your goodness, and we've experienced it, and we want the world to experience it. So, Lord, as your people, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to walk this out, Lord, help us to know that, that there are ditches on each side of us, and, but that you're the one true way, that it's a narrow way, but it's, it's a true way, that, that in this world that we'll have trouble, but that you've overcome the world, and Lord, help us to just live into that. And you tell us from your word that, you're, that we're your workmanship, we're your poetry, we're the poem that you're singing over this world, Lord, as, as your people, and that you've got work for us to do, and that as we do that work, and when we live out our lives, we, we bring glory to you, and when we bring glory to you, we make you more known. Lord, forgive us for being so silent so silent that we haven't given you glory, that we haven't demonstrated to the world around us the reality of who you are. So all praise, all glory, all honor to you. May you be uh, just enthroned in the people's hearts here this day, in our hearts, in my heart. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.